0: This is the Big Brand Theory Podcast by Blackwood Creative, with your host, Kyle Johnson. And now, here's Kyle. Hey guys, it's Kyle. Welcome to the Big Brand Theory Podcast. I'm so excited for you to listen to today's episode with Tom Ross. He's the co-founder of Design Cuts out of the UK. And we sit down to talk about building an online community and how that's different than what we might think about as our online audience. So let's jump into my conversation with Tom. Hey, Tom, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing amazing. Busy, but great and really excited to be here, Kyle. Awesome. And
0: I appreciate you hopping on here because I know you're going to be, be able to bring a ton of value to our listeners um, who are in the marketing space. They're probably running marketing at a company or they might be working at an agency or something like that. But generally, the person listening to this is interested in marketing in some way and um, design and um community and different things like that, that we're going to talk about today, I think are vital to a lot of that. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing?
1: Sure. So um, my name is Tom Ross. I'm the founder and CEO at Design Cuts, which is the highest rated design marketplace in the world. And I'm such a geek with marketing, to be honest, that in my spare time, I started my personal brand. And under that umbrella, that's where I kind of mentor fellow entrepreneurs, share as much knowledge as I can. I feel like I've done a billion podcasts over the years. So currently I still have two, I think at one point I had three. So, you know, I, I just, I love talking about this stuff, to be honest, I love jumping on calls with awesome people like you and just geeking out over this. That's awesome. So you have two podcasts currently, what are those called? The Honest Designer Show, which is more for designers, but it's, as per the title, it's more like super vulnerable, open heart on sleeve. The stuff that most people kind of get uncomfortable sharing and talking about. And then Biz Buds uh, with my buddy, Mike Jander, which is just practical, actionable business tips. I'm, I'm a huge fan of actionable, Kyle. yeah, And like, I just, I hate, I hate generic advice and headlines and stuff where people kind of nod along and it's like, yeah, that's kind of obvious or so cliche. I'm like, how do you break it down? How do you actually apply it?
0: Yeah. Um, a, I just listened to one of those episodes of BizBuds earlier this morning. Um, and I just, I, I'm right there with you. I'm like, this is a lot of fun because a, I'm getting some actionable stuff out of this, but B it's like, Oh, you know, I do get that a little bit of that. Like, yeah, I'm going through that. Or yeah, like I can relate to that. So really good stuff there. Um, Thank you. And then you're talking about bringing value. Uh, you've dropped a book or has it gone out quite yet? It's or gone. It's yeah. Out? I mean, okay.
1: well, I it's soft launched. I'm okay. officially launching it on Monday. So it's close. Okay.
0: So by the time people are listening to it, they'll be able to get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the book is free, right? Yeah. That's incredible. You could have charged, you you could I mean I've looked through it, you could have charged a lot of money for this thing. It looks there's a lot of value in it. So
1: thank um, you. Um yeah, again, I just I believe in practicality, I believe in over-delivering with value. And to be perfectly honest, this is the book I've been writing in my head for about seven years. But then when I've chatted to my friends that have published books and gone through publishers, I know I don't have the time for that process. Mm. I'm busy running my company. I can't be there like editing and liaising with publishers every day. So I was like, screw it. I'm just going to put it out maybe a little bit more unpolished than it would be through publishers. I'm going to self-publish, get it out there for free, try and help as many people as I can. Um, and the intent behind it was try and make it even more valuable than like premium courses and, and premium books. I didn't want to have some kind of quick subpar glossy overview that was trying to upsell people on something. I'm like, I'm just going to put everything I've learned on the topic of community into this thing.
0: Yeah. So that's right there. You just answered my next question that what the topic of the book, the overall, what's the overall idea of this book?
1: How to help entrepreneurs build build highly engaged online communities.
0: Nice. So let's talk about that community. Um, That term can, it's can be vague and it can mean have, different meanings, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you define what community is?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. In writing the book, I immerse myself even more in the world of community builders. And I think the definition varies. There's some people that talk about an audience versus a community audience being a kind of one to many broadcast Mm -hmm. medium, typically what we see in social media, you know, I'm talking to my followers, but they're not really talking to each other or talking back. Mm -hmm. And so some people are very strict and they say a community is only a community. If it's this many to many closed message board forum type space, I see community as a little bit broader. So I see community as something where you can have a sense of community. It doesn't just have to be inherent in the platform or the space. And case in point, at my company Design Cuts, before we ever had live events where everyone's making friends in the chat and before we ever had like a closed space for our members we had a sense of community. Literally, our members raved about the community. I love being part of this community. Best community ever. And I think that speaks to things like vision, a sense of belonging, a sense of shared values, the way that we address our community at large, even if it is inherently one to many. Um, And I don't believe it's like you flick a platform on and go from having zero community to suddenly having a community just because of that platform. I actually believe community is just relationships at scale, right and and mm-hmm. that is more ubiquitous than than just any one platform. The best communities can move from platform to platform, and those relationships last
0: what are some what are some key aspects of like a really of a of a good community?
1: So there is a uh, a quote in my book from my friend Mac Redden who says that. The cardinal sin of building community is focused on the top line number of members. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And really what he's saying is it's quality over quantity. So I think engagement, and that isn't just engagement for engagement's sake. Engagement basically reflects that people care, that they show up, that they keep coming back, that they're super active. They interact with each other. They provide and, you know, give and receive value. Those are the things that matter. And they matter so much more than the number of members. And the same is true of website traffic. The same is true of social media followers. I've been pounding this publicly for like a decade now, this quality over quantity hmm. mantra. And there's an example in the book where I talk about some partnerships we've done through my company. We did a partnership with 5,000 people in one audience that 20x outperformed the partnership we did with an audience with a million people. Huh. Like it's insane to me. Yeah, everyone thinks yeah. the audience with a million people is winning because they got the big shiny number, but yeah. it's hollow. No one, no one cares. No one's opening emails. No one's engaging. It's a meaningless vanity metric. And so I am all about how much do people care. That is the D metric that I care about. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's uh, the KPI right for a lot of people when they start in venturing out into marketing through social media specifically is that idea of like, how many followers do we have? Like, or how many are on our email list? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Just looking at that number. Um, but you're saying that that's not, that's not the most important number. It may be have some relevance, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess 10,000 is better than one, but at the end of the day, is it if, if 10,000 are not quality?
1: Well, yeah, and quality as well is subjective, right? What yeah. does quality mean? Um, yeah, it can mean engagement, but it also could mean relevance, could mean relevance to your business model. Again, I wrote a case study where I was talking about a hypothetical community predicated on karate. And imagine mm-hmm. that you start a karate community, you're sharing memes and cool karate scenes from movies, you build a million follower audience around karate. Mm. You decide to launch a karate academy and no one buys. And you think what's going on? And it turns out you built an audience of the wrong people because you built an audience of people who love quick movie clips and they love watching that from the comfort of their sofa, but they're not people genuinely interested in learning the difficult art of karate over many mm. years. So the relevance isn't there. And that audience, for example, that could be super engaged. Maybe people are loving the karate memes and you know, at a surface level, it really works, but there's no viable business behind it.
0: in a I believe in a recent podcast, you talked about um, having an active audience. and to that's kind of what you're talking about here is this idea of, hey, we've got um, an audience, uh, but how many of them are actually? active they're engaging with our content they may even buy from us that kind of thing how do you Mm -hmm. is there a difference between the active audience and having a community or is or is it the same thing how do you differentiate differentiate those two
1: yeah that's a really good question actually so active audience is something that noah kagan's talked about extensively i think he said if you have a hundred thousand people on your email list and only ten thousand of those people ever open your emails you really have an email list of ten thousand people Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a genius way of putting it. Because again, for the sake of ego, what everyone's trying to do is say, I got a 100K email list. And it's like, no, you don't. You got 90,000 people sat there who are disengaged. Your stuff's hit and spam. They may as well not exist at all in the sense of your your brand and and your business. So that's kind of how I think about vanity metrics and, and active audience. In terms of drawing like a super distinct line between audience and community, again, I'm not a huge fan of doing that. I don't Mm. want to say like, you know, one day you are not a part of my community and the next day suddenly you qualify. Mm. That in itself is quite arbitrary. And so what I talk about in the book is I think you can build a kind of audience, a broader audience on social media, which is effective because you have discoverability, shareability, you can reach your intended people at scale. And then you can actually siphon off the most engaged members of that audience into a closed community. And that isn't to say you have zero community going on in your social media audience, but I think filtering those people down to the the true fans and the highly engaged people and then giving them a closed community home. This is a model that we're increasingly seeing, like in the creative space, who's doing this teachable Adobe did it recently. And a lot of these companies are starting to do this really in the last six to 12 months and it's picking up steam. I truly believe that the brands that don't adopt this kind of approach are going to be left behind because they're going to still just be broadcasting out. Whereas the companies who care about community, they're going to have the loyalty and the central hub and the interaction and the feedback loop and the dozens of benefits that come from a a closed community space.
0: So you're talking about closed community. Let's get practical on this. Like what can a brand who's saying, okay, I get it. Like you just told me there's ton of benefits to having a community and we could probably go into that in detail, but but what's the practical step for some company that's saying, I want to create a community uh, within my audience um, that's highly engaged. What mm-hmm. What should I be doing?
1: Okay, there's a couple of things. So first of all, validate what people actually want. I'm not a fan of guessing or imposing my will on people. So you don't want to just infer, oh, I'm going to start a community and it's going to be predicated on X because I believe that's what my community want. Like go and send out surveys, send out polls, have conversations at scale and really get to the heart of what are your people yearning for that you could offer for them in a closed space. So that's step number one is validate. Step number two is try and build a pre-interest list And the reason why this is so important is communities tend to have a bit of a critical mass, especially closed Mm -hmm. communities, where they become self-sustaining, i.e. you can step back a bit and the members can support each other and it can kind of take on a life of its own. That's what you want for your closed community. Mm -hmm. The issue is when you try and start a closed community, it's an empty party. It's a barren, empty platform. And often it can be incredibly tough to actually, you know, get the sparks going Mm. and start that fire going of its own accord. And so by creating a kind of pre-interest list, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the critical mass, which it's been proven is around 200 people typically. Mm. You're trying to get those 200 people there, ready with bated breath. So that instead of a slow trickle of people going into an empty party and then leaving because it's not active or interesting enough, you suddenly get 200 pre-qualified, amazing, idle candidates in. So you hit that critical mass pretty much in week one, and then you can grow it from there.
0: Hmm. And are we are we putting these communities in specific areas, like we talked about before, going cross-platform? But like, what I mean, are we talking Facebook groups? Are we talking building out on our own website? What does that What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so there's an abundance of platforms available now, and increasingly new ones are dropping all the time. I think you need to map it to the behavior of your users. You need to map it to the industry. And essentially you're trying to reduce friction by providing something that's already natively familiar to them, or at least feels comfortable and in alignment with their typical behaviors. So for example, Discord, right? Huge in the gaming space. So if you're Mm -hmm. doing a gaming community, it makes sense. You're going to get them in there instead of a Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Facebook group might be uh you know more appropriate for people on the older end of the spectrum and I have friends that have started enormous Facebook groups um and there's all kinds of benefits there. There are pros and cons to every platform to be honest so I'm not a huge fan of Facebook groups because I think you're still on rented land. We're already seeing Facebook start to shift the algorithms where groups were getting more organic exposure. And now that's being limited. You have distractions, notifications, pulling them away from your group on platform. You have ads, you have all kinds of stuff out of your control. So I really like the ownership of having a closed platform that's in your hands that you control we're currently um getting on circle if you're familiar uh, which is a really promising new platform hmm. but to your question again i think it's important to kind of think what is going to be a pleasant low friction experience for our users something that feels native to them something that they're not going to feel resistant to um and things like circle the beauty there is you can actually have single sign on you can have it sit in a frame effectively on your website. Hmm. So that works for our platform at Design Cuts because people are already on the website browsing around. They're spending their time there. And so if they don't have to leave and open a new tab or go to a new website to access the community, it's already sat on the same site. They don't have to sign in or log up or create an account. They use their pre-existing account. So things like that really, really help, um, you know, launch a community, I believe.
0: Hmm. So you mentioned before there's some, there's some pretty clear benefits for a brand to create a community what do you feel like are some of the top benefits that a brand should pay attention to and and why they should dive in and invest into creating a community
1: i think the biggest benefit is the engagement and loyalty and retention that comes from community and There's been a lot of studies on this in terms of actual tangible ROI. It gives businesses in monetary senses and and many other senses too. And what's interesting is the ROI is actually pretty healthy from year one. You do get a really good return on investment for the time put into a community if you nurture it the right way. But it compounds. And if you look at the graphs, it starts to hockey stick. And the reason for this is that relationships take time to deepen if you think about any relationship in your life, you don't go naught to 60 instantaneously. Typically it's like me and my fiance seem to be wife. We're getting married next month. Congrats. We've been together nine years. Uh, we should have been married by now, but COVID made us cancel our wedding twice. <laughs> so uh, that was fun. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? That took nine years for us to go from strangers to acquaintances to friends. We were friends for six months, and then we kind of dated and then we we're in a solid relationship and then we got engaged and now we're getting married. That's how we expect relationships to work, whether it's our you know life partner or our best friend, we expect that over time it gets stronger and stronger almost exponentially. So when you've got a best friend of twenty years, it's going to be a wildly different thing than a year into that friendship or six months into that friendship Mm -hmm. we need to think about community in that sense and again if you look at the figures and the graphs that are readily available out there you will start to see this hockey stick where actually you know five six years into your community it really starts to snowball because if you have been part of a brand or part of a company and you're in that community every day and you're tied to it and you're building relationships and you're getting value and it's an intrinsic part of your daily routine, think how much friction it's going to be to go to a faceless competitor that you have no context on, no loyalty. You're going to be increasingly loyal um, and almost adhesive to the community that you've been involved in for a number of years. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that when I, when I'm as a business owner looking at something like that, it sounds good and I'm constantly asking myself then what's my, um, what's my ROI on that? How do I, how do I basically monetize this community? Is that a thing or is this community less about like, let's try and extract dollars or whatever from them? Um, t- talk to me a little bit about like that coming from a, I guess a high level level uh, somebody who's thinking about the money side of it.
1: Yeah, there's a quote in the book which basically says community is not something where you can provably show I put in two dollars and I immediately get three out. Mm-hmm. It's much more of a long term play, like I talked about. Of course, there are stats out there, as I just talked about, that show a really healthy ROI, especially in the long term. But it's about so much more than that. It's not just about revenue. There are countless benefits like I say, retention, loyalty, they're all well and good. But what about the fact that you feel that much more connected to your customers? You get an instantaneous feedback loop. You can involve them in decisions, validate, you know, concepts or features on them immediately. Um, you, you get them defending you from traitors and... Uh, traitors? <laughs> Haters. <Sure. laughs> Haters and trolls. <laughs> Freudian slip. Um, and I've seen that, you know, if someone comes in and tries to like trash us, which happens incredibly rarely our loyal community members jump on it and they're like, no, they're awesome. Like, you Mm. know, you need to leave them alone. And that kind of thing is really, really powerful. And I just think you can't view it in this transactional way of like exactly what is the quantifiable money I'm getting out of it. It's something that rather should be woven into your ecosystem. Mm. And it's the same thing with like customer service, right? We believe in providing the best customer service in the world, but I'm not going to sit there and be like, exactly how much money did you make us, customer service department? Because they're not a sales team. Right. I just know that from a brand perspective and a reputation in our industry perspective, it's been an incredible asset for us. You know, mm-hmm. we are, We're the highest rated marketplace in the world, like I said at the start. We have hundreds of five-star reviews out there publicly. The social proof of of how we're perceived is enormous, and everyone, you know, says what an incredible service our amazing team provide. Can I put a dollar value on that? Absolutely not. But do I know it's there? Yeah, for sure. Mm.
0: So, how do you? Um, I have two questions then. A, how do you how do you scale? A community from you, you talked about some of the kind of getting them prepped and getting them started, uh, in the beginning and getting to that kind of 200 mark, but how do you take it from 200 to, to a community that you guys have?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So I'm a huge believer in the magic of the unscalable. I think it's incredibly necessary, especially early on. I think it's something that should be prolonged even as you scale, And the way to do it is, you know, relationship building at scale, one person at a time, befriending them. I literally did that starting my company. I made best friends with our first two to 300 customers. Hmm. I was working 18 hour days, but I still allocated one hour every day to jump on a call with an individual customer, learn their story, hear their pain points, get their suggestions. I did that day in, day out for like the first few months of our company. Hmm. Highly unscalable, but gold those conversations with gold, because I understood there's real people behind this. They're not, you know, metrics and data points on a Google analytics dashboard. I'm talking to Sally in Nebraska. And I love the fact that she gets so much benefit from our resources. And I now understand how we can serve her better. So I am a believer in that kind of hands-on community management, even as a founder, you know, I did it myself. Now we have a team that helps scale this kind of thing. But, to your question, invariably as you scale, you can't do that. We got three quarters of a million members now. Mm. I can't be jumping on calls with that many people. We can't build (laughs) one-on-one relationships even with a team with that many people. So what do you do? I think there are scalable things you can do to build community such as have a publicly stated strong vision. Mm. This is something uh, the future do and Christo does extremely well. There's a case study in the book on this. They've got uh, a mission to help one billion people make a living doing what they love. And they got this mantra, one billion minus one. So every person that buys into their mission, that's another one of the billion taken care of. Hmm. Chris shared with me on a call that when they implemented this, the buy-in they got and the community growth and engagement was enormous because they you know, planted their flag in the ground and said, here's what we're about and here's what we're trying to do. And people resonated with that. And that's a highly scalable way to actually get community buy-in outside of the unscalable one-on-one relationship building stuff. And there's tons of ways of doing this. You know, your podcast right now, you're helping many. Mm -hmm. You you know, maybe there's like some listener questions and that kind of thing that you do on some episodes. So you, you help one person, but then you scale it and help many through a content medium such as this. Um, And there's a whole section in the book. There's like literally dozens and dozens of ways. I think brand positioning, there's a lot of people I talk to that are highly successful community builders that attribute their success to authenticity. And actually putting themselves out there, being vulnerable, wearing their heart on their sleeve, as I try to do, um, you know, not showing the highlight reel, but showing all sides of themselves. Again, that creates an immense human connection um, and community bond, which I think is impossible to do if you hold people at arm's length, show the highlight reel, or operate behind a curtain. So there's some things like that. But also, I believe you need to keep the unscalable stuff going because it's so powerful. You just need to be selective with whom you apply that to. And I call this filtering your fans. So Mm -hmm. to give you an example, a buddy of mine has 400,000 people following him on social media. His engagement is okay, um, given that he tends to get like 50 to 100 people commenting on his posts. When I was talking to him a while back about community, he was saying, okay, Tom, that's great, but... I can't build relationships with 400,000 people. It feels overwhelming. Where do (laughs) I start? And I was like, look for the people that have indicators of engagement, Mm -hmm. i.e. the 50 to 100 people commenting, start there. You can't cater to 400K people, but you can build friendships with the 50 people that consistently show up in your comments. And that's where the magic happens because they're the true fans. They're the ones you should be nurturing and allocating uh, disproportionate time and attention towards. Hmm. Wow, you can tell I'm passionate about this. I'm speed talking. <laughs> no, that's
0: it's fantastic stuff. Um, yeah, because I can I can could, I could see that. Like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna call each one of my customers. You know, we even had kind of I own a print shop as well, and you know, we have kind of this this list of customers that are current or past or whatever. And I got in the in my head, I'm like, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna call every single one of these people. Um, Love that. And, uh, it's just feels daunting though, when you have even, even 1200 names, like, okay, yeah, this is going to take a long time. So, but the idea of like, how do we, this is what we're about. And you're kind of at a more broad scale and, uh, saying, trying to say, here's, here's, here's where we are. Here's our vision. And, And hopefully, out of these twelve hundred, a large chunk of them say, "I can, uh, I can relate with that vision. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that community." Um, Mm -hmm. So, the next question I have then is, "How do we as are we facilitators of these of this community, or are we? um, How do we get members of the community to, I guess?" come together and be together. Uh, And I guess that's the difference between the audience and the community. So how do we get them to act more like a community and less like just an audience watching?
1: Love that. Um, If I may, can I rewind just for a second to the the point you just made about reaching out to your customers first? So this is actually one of the most powerful things you can do. And to give you a couple of quick examples, there's a lady, Vanessa, in my audience. She runs this great brand, Bondi Letters. She had 675 followers, and she was my coaching student, still is. And I encouraged her. I want you to private message all of them. Mm. I think it took her about a week, and she just chipped away at it a little bit every day. And out of those, you know, handful of hours doing that, what she got back was a spike in engagement because it re-engaged people because they mm. felt, you know, listened to, etc. Some incredible conversations. Some of them were brief, some of them continued and they became true fans. A couple of clients that went, oh yeah, you exist and hired her again. (laughs) And then a handful of sales that happened with her physical products. So it wasn't just a nice fluffy exercise and being friendly. Like from that one thing she did, she got tangible business benefits, a deeper connection with her fans and a, a longer term spike in engagement. And it's insane how effective that is. And it's entirely possible, I would say, if you have a thousand people or less in your audience, And I I did a presentation recently and there was a slide on it where I said, think about how many hours per day we all waste scrolling aimlessly on social media. It's nuts. Our phone tells us this number, right? Hours and hours and hours, aimless, achieves nothing. Can you imagine redeploying that time to an exercise like that? You don't Hmm. even have to do it every week, do it every six months, whatever it might be. The results are immediate... And 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 the goodwill as well. People appreciate it. It pumps mm. me up when I get those responses. I can't believe you took the time to reach out personally. Like it's fun what comes back.
0: Hmm. And, and I think...
1: If you, I, I, sorry, go ahead, please. No, no
0: I, I was going to say, to add to that, I think the caution to um, what I've seen a lot of us want to do is how to, okay, let's, if I want to scale that, I want to automate it. And then all of a sudden we lose that personal touch, right? I mean, you feel like it, this needs to be, maybe it's not the founder, but somebody on the team who's saying, I'm going to reach out to each and every one of these and say, Hey, hope you're doing well. Let us know if you need things, that kind of thing. That's what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. Like, like I said, the magic's in the unscalable because most people aren't willing to do it right. and therefore it's inherently going to differentiate you. It's going inherently going to mean a lot to people. Another example, I did a uh, Christmas message. We had about 500 suppliers of products in our marketplace. Mm. And I said, I don't want to do a generic thing like, dear designer, Merry Christmas. So I, I did a personal video message for each one. Wow. Literally like, hey, Kyle, like, what's up? Appreciate you selling with us. Just want to say Merry Christmas to you and the family have a good one. It took me three to four hours. I lost my voice at the end. I'm sure Then had to pay our video guide to sit and very boringly go through and edit all of those. And then we sent them out. The response was enormous. People were like, holy crap. I can't believe I got a personalized by name video message from your CEO who does that. It matters to people. Yeah. There's so much gold in it, but no one does it because they can't be bothered.
0: Wow. So I want to, this book, and I look through it, there are a ton of case studies around people doing community really well. I want to hear from you as you kind of worked through and, and uh, pulled all this together. What were some communities or people doing, creating communities that really like stood out to you? Like they're doing this really, really well. And I hope other people emulate what they're doing here.
1: One that pops into mind is uh, Becca Cortese from The Happy Ever Crafter. She actually started this lettering challenge called Show Me Your Drills. And it started with 20 people on Instagram following the challenge in like 2016. Last time she did it this year had 65,000 people. And it's literally been the foundation to this enormously successful business that she's built. And I think what most people aren't talking about is the hard manual graft to some of the examples I just shared that happens behind the scenes. Even Becca, she's pretty transparent, right? She puts herself out there. She's very personable and likable. But there's no reason for her to like show the tactics of what she did four years ago because people aren't asking that question. Mm -hmm. But I am because I care about that stuff. And it's really interesting to me. Almost no one publicizes the real way that they're doing this stuff, which is why I wanted to ask a bunch of people and spell it out in the book. And suddenly Becca starts opening up and she's like, well, actually when there were 20 people, you know what I did? I manually was like messaging them, getting them to participate. I wasn't just hoping that they'd show up and continue, continue to do it. I'd message them and be like, hey, did you see the challenge today? Like you should totally do today's challenge.
0: Mm. You
1: know, she, she was like manually pushing this thing one person at a time. She wrote handwritten physical letters to these early people to reward them. And there's a chapter in the book where I, I talk about value magnitude And the notion is that everyone's busy. No one has time. No one has any reason to care about you when you have no leverage or you haven't built anything. And so it's ridiculous for you to expect people to show up for no reason and just to show up for the sake of it and support you in their droves. It doesn't work that way. So how I did it and how Becca did it and so many people surprised me actually people I didn't know work this way. And as soon as I really pick their brain, they're like, yeah, me too. That's how I did it. Mm. Is they give back value at an order of magnitude greater than what they receive. So for Becca, it was someone just participating in an Instagram challenge. She's building relationships. She's coaching them. She's sending them personal letters because she knows how crucial it is that those 20 people tell their friends and they stick around because they're Mm -hmm. the start of it all. They're the start of the 65,000. I did the same thing when people look at me and they're like, how the hell do you get so much engagement on your Instagram page? It's because in the early days, I noticed there were seven people who were showing up in the comments. I befriended each one of them. I DM them. I invited them to a private coaching group and I gave them two hours every single week of group coaching for free for seven months because they left some Instagram comments. My coaching rates $500 an hour, right? That's ridiculous on paper as a business strategy. That's me like losing money effectively in my time. Mm -hmm. But by doing that, they told their friends, I learned so much, I found it highly rewarding. It made me a better coach as well. And so now when people say, how the hell have you got so much engagement, I can point them to stories like that. And mm. it's like, because I did that stuff that you're not willing to do because you're acting too fancy. And you're saying, my time's not worth that, or I'm not going to bother committing to these people. Or I've got better stuff to focus on. Mm. It's enduring that hard manual work that will give you the early momentum to actually build something of real scale and leverage. Mm.
0: Uh, there's a there's another case study in the book. Um, I'm just gonna put this out here, and hopefully, you can give us some insight into what you found effective on it. the The frog one, right? So, <laughs>
1: yeah. Rachel, so, um, yeah, yeah. She um, she runs Rainy Loon, and she basically started off doodling a frog character on her social media. People liked it. It picked up a following. And um, suddenly, she's doing a hundred and eighty grand Kickstarter, selling a frog backpack. <laughs> like it, it it's, it's just amazingly impressive to me. She's built this entire brand. She has thousands of Patreon paying members. She's got a closed community that's ridiculously active. Um, and she she shared all kinds of tips. But again, she actually was someone who was highly authentic. She opened up, she let her community in. She wasn't talking down to them. She actually was there in the trenches with them having a conversation. I remember she talked about getting her friends involved. They basically made their private friendship group chat public mm-hmm. in the community space. Mm-hmm. And then other people started joining in. And before they knew it, they had this bigger group of friends comprised of strangers. And so, it, it, yeah, it, it was all kinds of things. But I think she found a great like product market fit with her design she built an audience and then she's got this audience of 100k she's done what i talked about she siphoned off the 2000 most engaged people to a closed space and then she just freaking delights them in there they're (laughs) geeking out about frogs all day long and she's having fun with them and she's got all the hallmarks of a great community they have like inside memes and jokes Mm. and stuff that wouldn't make sense to an outsider that's so important, right? You need that sense of belonging. You need you need these little like codes and uh, you know ways of behaving that only makes sense on the inside. And that makes it all the more special. Think of like any members club that you might've been involved in or a sports club. You have the songs you chant in the stands. If you weren't a fan, you wouldn't understand them. Yeah, But you feel part of the tribe. Mm. That stuff really matters.
0: Well, Tom, I... Um... I really appreciate your time here. I want to, I want to ask is as we, one last question is we look at brand as we're running brands, whether we're in in-house again, in-house marketer or agency or something like that. But, um, uh, what, what last piece of advice would you give somebody that's thinking about, okay, I'm going to do this community thing. I'm going to do my best to, to build something strong and, and, uh, valuable. What's one piece of advice that you would give to us?
1: I'm going to go contentious with this because I I have to be honest. That's my whole brand. I'm known as the honest entrepreneur. So okay. I'm going to hit you with that. All right. I don't think everyone needs to or should build community. Huh. Being perfectly frank. I think if, if you're in client services and your biggest thing right now is that you're looking to get a 50% increase in your clients, you've got eight clients or something, you're looking to take it to 12. I don't think you need to worry about going and building a giant online community or doing a lot of the stuff I've touched on. And there are certainly quite a few businesses where that that is true. I would say particularly freelancers or client services, you should be focused on treating your clients amazing, doing amazing work, retaining them and and onboarding new clients and pitching them and so on, right? That's the stuff Mm. that matters most. And it's the same way not everyone needs to build a giant audience on social media. Not everyone has to build a personal brand. I think for a huge number of companies, especially companies at scale, it can be an incredible play. I think there is magic even in smaller communities. So I'm not saying you need 100,000 members in your community. There's plenty of super close-knit communities that have 40 people in and that can be great too. But I think my, my closing advice would be you need to clearly define the purpose of your community. Don't just have a community for the sake of it. What are you trying to achieve through having this community? And then the two questions that you should be answering for your members are, why should they bother to sign up Mm -hmm. and why should they bother to stick around? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of three final questions, right? From your side, do we need one at all? And if so, what's the objective? From their side, why should they be in it in the first place? And why should they keep coming back? If you answer those three questions, you're off to a good start. Mm.
0: That's huge. It's it's also relieving that we're sitting here saying, "Hey, if if you don't feel like this is the right fit for you, that's okay. It might not be, um, but I yeah. still see so much value in at least some form of community, like you mentioned. So,
1: yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, for everyone listening inside the book, there's a lot of. There's a lot of tactics to do with content strategy, uh, you know, brand positioning. We talked Mm. about authenticity, all of these things. Even if you don't need to and don't aspire to go and siphon people off to a a premium closed community or something of that nature, I want you to get value from other parts of the book Mm. that might just be getting more engagement on your social media, building relationships with people the right way. There's a lot of sections which are still beneficial even if you don't, you know, use the, uh, the closed community play.
0: Cool. So, at that, where can they get this book from you?
1: Uh, it's available at communitymanual.com. And if for some reason that link's being strange, you can go to tomross.co. So, tomross.co, for either okay. of those.
0: Awesome. And uh, where should they, if they want to follow along with your journey um, as the honest on, entrepreneur, uh, where should they go to do that?
1: Uh, so, I'm Tom Ross Media on basically all social platforms or again, at my website, tomross.co. Okay,
0: cool. All right, Tom. I appreciate your time um i know you're a busy man and uh you just dropped so much knowledge and so much value here today but also in that book i would encourage anybody listening to go check that out um i'm i've only been able to get through part of it i'm excited to um to finish through it and uh, get it to the rest of my team so they can they can learn and apply so uh, thank tom you thank you so, you much. so much yeah
1: it's such a pleasure i really appreciate you having me on super fun thank you Thanks so much for listening to the Big Brand Theory podcast. Make sure to like and follow
0: us on social media and subscribe to the podcast today.